Well, let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for the exciting things that you're doing in the world and the opportunity you've given me to see them and share them with others. May your presence be evident in this room today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's always difficult to uh, sit and listen to someone talk if you don't know who they are. So let me just introduce myself. My name is Stan Dorr. I'm the president and CEO of ECHO. I've been in that position for almost five years now. My career started after a master's degree at the University of Texas. I moved to Africa on what was supposed to be a two-year assignment that ended up to be a 15-year assignment. Started out in Swaziland, where my oldest son was born. And after two years, moved to South Africa, spent eight years in South Africa um, in education and then in wildlife conservation. And after uh, eight years in South Africa, moved to Malawi. Malawi, I spent uh, four years in Malawi and then uh, began a consulting career. Uh, spent five years consulting throughout Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And um, then, after five years of traveling the planet rather extensively, we were recruited by World Vision, and I moved to a place called Mauritania. Mauritania is in the northwestern part of Africa, and uh, we lived 600 kilometers out into the desert, in what was at that time the second largest town. Um, it was a um, it was a World Vision program, but there were no other foreigners that were out there. 67,000 people lived in the city that we were in, but uh, we used to tell people we live on the beach. It's just a 600-kilometer drive to get to the water. Um, but that was a very rich experience, um, some new experiences. Um, it was during that time that 9-11 took place here in the United States, and when the U.S. went into Afghanistan, as the only Americans in the area, we had a, a jihad declared against us, my wife and I. And so we spent the next two years with police protection and uh, all the things uh, in a go bag, which means you have everything you need, a little bag right next to your front door, and, uh, and uh, vehicles full of fuel and water and food, and a satellite phone and a GPS so that you just run out of the desert and hide. And in theory, you would call in your coordinates and the embassy would send a helicopter to come and pick you up. I'm grateful that I didn't have to try that to find out. Um, I'm not sure how far down the list of priorities we would have been out in the middle of nowhere. But it was a great and very rich experience, and we saw God's hand at work in ways that you don't experience without being in those kind of situations. Um, after that, my mother was dying of cancer. We came back to take care of her and World, or another organization, Food for the Hungry, actually, that just was recruiting us from going to Kenya. When Echo called and asked if we would consider the succession process from the founding CEO, and after considerable prayer, we accepted the position. And so I've been in Florida for six years now, which is the longest I've ever lived in one place since I left my parents' home at age 17, and uh, I'm actually enjoying it. Well, I say I live in Florida, but in the last three months I've been in East Africa, West Africa, Southern Africa, and Southeast Asia, um, and so I'm looking forward to, this should be my last big trip until after Christmas, so I'm celebrating today. <laughs> but we're here to talk about Finding abundance in the ordinary. Poverty and progress. We often hear these words bantered about as if one were totally bad and the other is totally good. But it's important to understand that progress may not always be positive. The picture on the left is the rooftops in Kifa, Mauritania. No, that is not me sitting on the rooftop. <laughs> that is Nyebe, our pet monkey, who was the most intelligent person in that house. 
And then the picture on the right is one I took just two weeks ago in Bangkok of a rooftop garden. Bryant Myers, in Walking with the Poor, writes, The nature of poverty is fundamentally relational. The cause of poverty is fundamentally spiritual. Okay, it's not this one. Same one. Same one. All right. Okay. Thank you. I'll put it in my pocket. For those of you who are catching this recording, you missed some really good stuff at the beginning. (laughs) Hey, that was laughter of agreement, not laughter. For those listening on the tape, that was laughter of agreement, not uh, of despair. What is the Christian responsibility to progress? As a Christian, development is ultimately about the kingdom of God. The goal of community development from a Christian's perspective is changed people living abundant lives. A responsibility. Now I realize this is going to come as a shock to some of you because the first time you heard these words was in a Spider-Man movie. You remember the Spider-Man movie? Spider-Man's father is dying been shot by a bad guy and his father looks up at him and said son for everyone who has been given much much will be demanded and for the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked but for those of you who thought that originally came from a spider-man movie it actually is from luke 12:48. but it also comes with a warning Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 15. We often think as we go overseas that, especially if you're new to this game or this career, that the objective is to almost create little Americas around the world. And even though that may not be your your original intent, it often becomes almost a subconscious. We want them to have what we had. And even in an idealized what we had, without recognizing the fact that there are many, many benefits in in poorer cultures that we could learn from. Their relationships with each other. And other things. Poverty and progress. Do we look for what people don't have? Or do we look for what they have but don't see? And this is an important concept to understand. That often you will look at the development manuals and they say one of the first things you're supposed to do is do a PRA. Participatory Rural Appraisal. To go see or what they often call it is a needs assessment. What don't they have? The danger in that is, what's the next step from what don't they have? How can we provide it? And from my perspective, after 30 years of working internationally, That is a totally backwards assessment. Because bringing in your culture or your stuff or creating a dependency on you or your ministry is not very practical. I had the privilege of working with a young lady who ultimately became my wife. And she would do tropical agriculture courses around the world. And inevitably, when we finished with the program, the people would say to her, you have taught us to use the things we have spent our entire lives ignoring. So the question I'm asking today is, what do you see? And are you looking for the right things? By the way, this is on the left, 
and on the right are pictures from the farm in uh, Mauritania we had with World Vision. Bringing in some plants, you can see how deserty it is on the left. And on the right, on the bottom of the picture, are some plants called chaya. Chaya comes from the Yucatan area of Mexico. is an incredibly nutritious plant. High in cyanide. Now, you may say, that's not a good thing. Well, it is if you're wanting to keep the camels from chewing it up. Um, And if you're afraid of ever eating cyanide, how many of you have eaten an apple? How many have eaten apple seeds? Much higher in cyanide than this plant. A half a cup of apple seeds will kill you. So what do you see here? Do you see abundance or poverty? Some who are not familiar with these types of cultures, you may say, well, look at those kids, they're not very well dressed. Look at those poor women, they're having to work so hard, they don't have a a Kiesenaire food processor or anything like that. And, and, you know, where's the cellophane around those green things? You know, (laughs) something's just wrong here. And they don't have a nice Tupperware bowl, they've got some gourd that they're using. Some will see that as poverty. Others are going to look at that picture and see, wow, look at all the maize flour they have. And look at all the greens they've been able to collect. Wow, there must be a party going on here. Be careful when you come into a situation as you assess it. Are you looking for what they have or what they don't have? Abundance or poverty? Some can see this as, wow, look at all the stuff. Others will look at that and say, one older gentleman trying to figure out which yogurt to get. I remember coming back from a trip, a four-year assignment in Africa. Went to a friend's house and we'd had ice cream that night. Most of the time overseas you get three colors of ice cream. Notice I said three colors, not flavors. Okay, It's a brown, a white, and a pink. All right. Theoretically, they are chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. We jokingly say that there are no natural ingredients in these, and this is a marketing tool because there's nothing to spoil. Um, it's kind of scary because when it thaws out, it maintains its shape. I'm not quite sure. We're trying to figure out if there's a a packing material potential in ice cream overseas. <laughs> but I'm distracted. <laughs> we, I told them, we had run out of ice cream that night, and I told them I would go in and buy some ice cream the next morning, and I walked into a grocery store in America, and it was an entire aisle with glass cupboards of different types of ice cream. And I'm not a person who has trouble making decisions. I spent... 20 minutes walking back and forth and left without buying anything. (laughs) Almost in tears with frustration. So sometimes our poverty and our abundance may not always be what what we thought they are. The bank HSBC has been doing a a promotional program, uh, especially in Asia. You see these kind of advertisements on the jetways in the Bangkok and Singapore airport fairly often. But it takes pictures and it says, you know, basically, what are you looking at? And then they often have some very interesting quotes. Isn't it better to be open to other people's points of view? What's trendy and what's traditional? Fate, fear, or fairy tale? Or all of the above, right? (laughs) This is probably the one that moves me the most. Style, soldier, or survivor. When you see a bald head, do you think of, ah, there's a skinhead? Or do you think, oh, somebody just joined up? Or do you think chemotherapy? Leader? Follower, follower, leader. Same picture, but what do you see in that picture? (laughs) 
I can tell you I don't relate to this. I, <laughs> I've never worn stiletto heels, and I don't eat peppers. So, <laughs> too much of a biologist in me that makes me realize the uh, the physiological aspects of peppers in your body. What do you see? Wise, old, old, wise. Order, chaos, chaos, order. I guess it depends on whether you run a produce stand or you're a cook. The other one, the quote on this, we see no problem in different points of view, only potential. A different point of view is simply the view from a place where you are not. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, when you see a computer, you think of something fun to play with? All right. You can see those who don't have offices that work with computers every day. How many of you, when you see a computer, you think of, oh, there's work? Yeah. We won't go with the baby side of things. I, you know, I'm sure that's a bittersweet thing and... Depends on whether it's your baby or not. I, uh, I don't think I have any grandchildren. I have. <laughs> My son's been two and a half years in the Peace Corps in Cameroon, and uh, and I don't believe he has any children, and I'm hoping he doesn't because he is a believer. But uh, but I'm sure that when grandchildren come along, I will see them in a in a totally different light than I see children. I remember I was the youngest of four boys, and my mother came out to visit when I was living in Malawi. And I was doing what good parents do, forcing your kids to eat vegetables. And my mother had the audacity. I'm the youngest of four boys. Had the audacity to say, you know, son, I don't really think it helps to force your kids to eat vegetables. <laughs> I turned to her, I said, Mom, you had three older brothers of my kids, three older kids to work that out on. And yet you forced me to eat my vegetables. Now what suddenly changed your mind? Poverty, ordinary, abundance. Poverty, ordinary, abundance. Do we create an abundance mentality? Or do we impose poverty? It's important whether you're going into the medical field or whether you're working in other areas of community development, community nutrition, that you step back from what you're doing and look at the message that you are sending. Are you helping people see the wealth of what they have? Are you convincing them that they really don't have much and you can provide it? Which ultimately leads to a higher degree of dependency. And that may not just be in the programs that you're doing. I lived in Swaziland for two years. The church that I was associated with had a Bible college and they had a nurse's school. They had three high schools and 40 grade schools. And a teacher's college. Over the generations, the emphasis continually went to teachers, nurses, hospital, schools. And oh, by the way, we have a Bible college. It didn't take very many years before the people of Swaziland realized that if you wanted to have a life and you wanted to be able to provide for your family, you better get into the nurse's school or the teacher's school and get a job at the school or the hospital because being a pastor didn't pay. And almost inadvertently, we taught the church that spiritual growth, being a pastor, 
was kind of the end of the line. If you can't do anything else, go be a pastor. And as a result, the social ministries grew. But the church began to implode because of lack of leadership. And because the leaders that were in the church were usually those that didn't have an education, when you finally did get somebody who said, listen, no, I'm committed to this, and we would send them off to Bible college, and we'd send them off to seminary in Joburg, and they'd come back. It wasn't more than three years before they joined another denomination. Because the leadership, which didn't have much of an education, was very threatened by these new people with an education. And the church continued to have leadership at the lowest level. Now, was that the strategy of the founding fathers of that denomination in that country? Absolutely not. But it was an example of how misguided compassion can lead to a disaster. So are we creating an abundance mentality or do we impose poverty? Some of the challenges of poverty... More than 884 million people lack access to safe water. Water-related diseases are the cause, leading cause of death in children under the age of five. Every 15 seconds, a child dies from a water-related disease. Every 15 seconds, every day, every year. And something can be done about that. Agriculture accounts for 80% of the world's water consumption. The average American uses 400 liters of water per day. The average person in the developing world uses 10 liters per day. More than oil, more than any kind of energy, this one component is what will probably lead to the next biggest wars on this planet. Water. Households in rural Africa spend 26% of their time collecting water. Indoor air pollution, or IAP. It's responsible for 1.6 million deaths each year, one death every 20 seconds. Indoor air pollution causes pneumonia, respiratory diseases, and lung cancer. Cooking over an open fire is equivalent to smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. And who's on mama's back? Smoking that same air. This is one of the leading causes of women around the world. Indoor air pollution. It's interesting, Hillary Clinton just mentioned that in one of her talks recently in the UN. And one of the staff said, we, we put out a publication called Echo Development Notes. And we number them. And Echo Development Notes, or EDN number 85, totally focused on indoor air pollution and some of the things you can do to prevent it. And so the question came around Echo is, I wonder if Hillary has a copy of EDN 85. Renewable energy. More than half the world's population depend on solid fuels for their energy needs. Rural women spend up to three mornings each week collecting fuel. In 2006, renewable sources accounted for only 18% of the global energy consumption. Post-harvest. Post-harvest losses of food grains in the developing world from mishandling, spoilage, and pest infestation amount around 50%. The picture is on the left in Burkina Faso of them collecting rice. On the right-hand side is a traditional grain storage bin made out of reeds. ECHO has an internship program where we train people that they spend a year with us learning about tropical agriculture before they go overseas. One of our interns went on to do a Ph.D., and her research was on how long does it take a weevil to chew through the seed coat of a bean. Now, one may say to oneself, that has got to be the most esoteric, <laughs> irrelevant research on the planet. 
No, my master's degree was the most esoteric, <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs> I did it back in the 70s, and it is still the leading research in that particular topic. Which means nobody else cared. Okay? Nobody else. That, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, nobody else wants to know about that stuff. We won't even go into what that was about. But <laughs> the researcher found that the weevils are too small to grab the bean seed. And so what they have to do is they kind of have to brace themselves against other bean seeds to chew through the seed coat. The adult beetle can live for 24 hours before it has to feed. And it takes 18 hours to chew through the seed coat. So it's got a bit of a window of time. Unless it gets dislodged and has to start over again. So what's the implications of that? When 80% of the bean seeds in Latin America are destroyed during storage by this weevil chewing through the seed coat and eating all the seed, exactly right. Turn the seed. And so what they found is you just take the bags of bean seeds and twice a day for one week you just turn them over. And as a result, it went from 80% loss to under 10% loss just by turning the bags of seed. We were just, uh, some of our staff were just in Niger, West Africa three weeks ago. They were looking at the way people are storing their seeds. One person put it, the bag of seeds, as the last step on the stairs down their house. So every time you walked in or out of the house, what would you do? You stepped on the bag of seeds and dislodged any pests that were in there. Research that may have been esoteric, but in reality had a good cause. So how can you find abundance in the ordinary? Remember I told you I lived in Kifa, Mauritania for three years. This is Main Street, Kifa. I can't understand why nobody else wanted to live there with us. Ordinary. And yet from that tire, Kareem and Omar cut the rim out of the top of it, put a piece of plastic in it, inverted it, taught the women in the area to do it. You wouldn't believe how many pictures it took on that right picture to get that picture without the kid's little bottom hanging out. <laughs> Just a total side set. To make gardens out of tires. Now, why would you want to make a garden out of a tire? When we arrived in Kifa, there were no vegetable gardens in the country. None. I mean, that's not just a ministerial exaggeration. There wasn't a one. They were pastoralists. They had animals. The animals all died in a drought. The statement they would make is, our animals have betrayed us. Now we have to be farmers. We talked about doing a vegetable program. They said, you have to give us chain link fence. Well, this was World Vision. World Vision's got a lot of money. I said, no chain link fence. Why do you think I would say that? Besides, I'm just a mean person. Because they couldn't afford to buy chain link on their own. And what would their neighbors say? When they saw that, they'd say, well, I'd like to do a garden too, but I can't afford chain link fence. So we taught them the technique of putting the garden in a tire and then putting the tire on top of something. So instead of keeping the goats away from your garden, what are you doing? You're keeping the garden away from the goats. And it revolutionized that town. Next thing you know, there were tire gardens everywhere. And guess what they began to figure out? How to make their own fence. The women wear what is called a malafa, which in Arabic simply means a wrap. It 
is a very gauzy type cloth. It tears very easily. Once it's torn, they will use it as a fence. Because what a goat can't see through, a goat won't go through. And that applies to a lot of different things. I've actually, during the times I was a game ranger in South Africa, I've caught in rhinoceros, wildebeest, zebra, eland, kudu, all by using just plastic and running them through that because they didn't think they could go through it. It's always a bit dicey with the rhinoceros, though. I will add that part of it. That's where you sit on the truck and say, go there, no, no, go there. (laughs) Ordinary or abundance. Rooftops are becoming much more, in an urban setting, are becoming much more of an area of agricultural land use. And what's the beauty of that? The beauty of of a rooftop garden is higher security. Not everybody can get up into the roof. Beautification of the roof. They find that the agriculture on the roof reduces the energy bills of the building. And you're producing your food where your market is. There isn't a big transport issue to get to your market. It's just down 14 flights of steps. I guess you could throw it over the edge, but... Ordinary? Or abundance? I want to go back to this picture. We did the... When you're in development work, you often get distracted by things. And we did the tire garden thing in Kifa. Got people producing food. And then I just got distracted in other projects. There were seven World Vision programs in that area that I was overseeing. And so, you know, you forget kind of some of these things. And about six months later, the staff said, man, I can't believe all the gardens in Kifa from zero to well over 200. And I said, what? I said, I live in Kifa. I've not seen any gardens. They said, are you kidding me? They're everywhere. I said, come on, guys. I live here. I've never seen a garden other than the ones that we've done. Let's go. Drove up to a house like this. I thought, that's just where they keep their goats at night. Until you look over the edge. And that's what's in it. They were full of vegetables. Ordinary abundance. We had gotten a container of seeds from Walmart. Now, Walmart seeds in Mauritania, you might think, eh, not a very good idea. But there was absolutely no access to seeds in the area. And we had asked Walmart, listen, make certain they're vegetables, because we've gotten some containers of seeds before that were 90% flowers. Yeah. Over 80% of these were vegetables. We distributed to the communities we were working with. But the staff said, there's some ladies, some farmers up in the mountains behind where we live. They're not part of our project area, but they're wanting to grow some food. Can we give them some of the seeds? Sure, no problem. There's plenty of seeds. Send them off. And we were living in Kifa. And it was in the Asaba Plateau, and it was just a huge mountain of rock that just flat on the top, that just extended north and south for hundreds of miles in the very rugged area. About three months later, my wife was in her office. The guardian knocked on the door and said, some people are here to see you. What do they want? They have some vegetables they want to show you. She came out. Three women and a man had walked for three days through the desert carrying bags of vegetables that they had produced up in that mountain area to thank her for sending seeds to them. Yes, the question came, would you come and visit us? Hey, 
You don't live in Kifa unless you're looking for an adventure. Sure, we'll come and visit you. Little did we know what that entailed. We put a caravan of three vehicles together in case one or two of them broke down, which is not uncommon even if the vehicles are new. And we headed towards the Asaba Plateau. You're driving through this desert of dunes, and all of a sudden there's this wall of rock in front of you. And you're wondering all along, how are you going to get up there? And suddenly, I mean, you're literally from here to the wall there, and you're thinking, you know, is somebody going to say, open sesame, and a wall's going to open up, or what's the deal? And then you see a little trail of gravel, and you come to that and take an immediate 90-degree turn, and it goes up, and up, and up, and up, a road you couldn't see from below. We got to the top of the area, and there was a village up there. We had hired, the guys had called ahead and hired a, uh, a guide to get us to this village. The downside was he was a camel guide, not a vehicle guide. And the trail was not set up for vehicles, it was set up for camels. At one point, we actually got into a pass where both sides of the vehicle got stuck on rock. We had to pull it out, not too good for the paint job, and uh, find another way around. Finally arrived in the village, all dog-tired, and just decided we were going to eat and go to sleep. As was the tradition for my wife and myself, we took our cots and began to move out into the desert. Just, you know, there's no mosquitoes, it's just sand, and it's beautiful, stars are clear. And, and the village chief said, no, 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 no. Ça, c'est pas possible. It's not possible. Pourquoi? Why? Le extraterrestre. Quoi? Le extraterrestre. Turned to our trance, I said, did he just say extraterrestrial? <laughs> Let me ask him. <laughs> Seems like a meteorite had landed in the field two days before. And we were the first white people to ever come to that area, ever. And they were certain that if we weren't the aliens, the aliens were there to get us. <laughs> and so... So needless to say, we slept in the village that night. We headed out the next morning into a barren stretch of rock and sand. And about every kilometer, a pit almost as big as this room had been dug. And way down in the bottom was water. They had a stick with a rope and a little bucket. And they would cast it out there, get into the water and pull it back up to get some water. And next to that was an enclosed area. Just like that. An enclosed area that was full of vegetables. We went about every kilometer. We'd find another one. Got to the last one. I didn't go into that garden. I was standing up on a rock taking a picture from the outside. And my wife said, Stan, you got to see this. Walked in. The woman had pumpkins big enough to set her child on growing in this area. That pumpkin would feed the entire village for a week and a half. Everybody talked about it and left. I was the last one to leave, and as I started to leave, the lady pulled on my shirt and said, come here. We walked behind a wall of vines, and there were three more, water, three more pumpkins the same size growing. Abundance in the ordinary. We would see these gardens, children eating carrots and sweet peas that they had never had access to in their lives. Ordinary or abundance. You can make a pump out of a tire and some PVC pipe called a rope and washer pump. You'll often hear groups say, well, the biggest problem these people have are fresh water. A group will go in, they'll drill a well, they'll put in a pump, they'll take pictures of all the kids playing in the fresh water. And as the superhero says as he walks away, my work here is done. Six months later, the pump breaks. Nobody knows how to fix it, nobody knows where to get the parts. The well is there, the broken pump is there, but the people are drinking out of the stream in the pond again with all the health issues associated with that. 
So we've worked with ways of, we have various types of water lifting technology, as well as water purification technology. But this is a rope and washer pump. It can lift up to 30 meters, and actually you can adjust it. We have one at the Echo Farm that actually takes it to a tank about 10 meters above the surface. Finding the abundance in the ordinary. One of our interns working in Mozambique in a rope and washer pump that he built there. A tire, some wood, PVC. Ordinary. Sand, gravel. And yet that sand and gravel can make what we know as a biosand filter. After Cyclone Argus hit the Irwadi Delta in Burma, Myanmar, World Vision called us up and said, listen, we've got the water purification plant in the country. We just can't get a visa for someone who knows how to run it. Do you have any water purification techniques that we could teach people in country with what they have? Yes, we do. They sent a Burmese American to Echo in Florida for three days. She learned how to make a biosand filter, headed back to Burma, and spent the next six weeks working in the Irwadi Delta, places where the foreigners couldn't get to, teaching people how to make their own water filters. And that biosand filter took dirty water and turned it into pure water. Now, if you wonder if it just works in the developing world, we have this set up in Florida, and we have a pond that is the our duck pond. And everybody knows what ducks do in their water. All right? Won't go into any more detail there. There's also fish in that pond. We took a bottle of that water, ran it through a biosand filter. It came out clear. Set it in the sun for six hours, something known as a SOTUS method, and took that water sample into the county lab to have it tested. And it tested completely pure of any type of coliforms. Nothing was purchased. Sand and sunlight and a two-liter Coke bottle. Ordinary. All right, let me see what I got as far as cash in my pocket. $2 for anybody who can identify that seed. Oh, come on, man. There, who got it first? You did. All right, we got two of you. Here's your $1 each, each of you. There's your dollars. Please get it. I just took it out of my tithe anyway. So, um, <laughs> Just kidding. Moringa. For those of you who... <laughs> For those of you who don't know Moringa, it is probably the most nutritious plant on planet Earth. M-O-R-I-N-G-A. One seed can purify a liter of water 98%, including killing bacteria. It works as a flocculant, and of course most of the bacteria is attached to the, the, the parts, so it's a physical purifier, as well as the fact that it, it does release an oil that kills bacteria as well. Ordinary, this is the Moringa leaf. Abundance, three tablespoons of Moringa leaf powder. You take the leaves, you strip them off, you dry them, you crush them up into a powder. Three tablespoons of Moringa leaf powder. 27% protein. More calcium than a half a liter of milk. More potassium than bananas. More vitamin A than carrots. More iron than spinach. It also has one of the highest levels of glycosinolates. We just co-authored a paper with Johns Hopkins University on glycosinolate concentrations in Moringa, which is a major component in treating stomach cancer. The boost this gives to the immune system is phenomenal. 
We have seen people that are HIV positive that have started eating Moringa and it has so boosted their immune system that they have actually responded better than those on the antiretrovirals. People with diabetes say it lowers their blood sugar. People with high blood pressure say it lowers their blood pressure. It is an amazing, amazing plant. The only thing it doesn't do is make hair grow in my head. <laughs> this is MAGA. MAGA, when he came to the office, a year and a half old, nine pounds. His mother's actually holding his head up in the back because it kept flopping over. I thought for sure he was going to die. We gave his mother a moringa powder and two trees in Mauritania where the desert is. Told her to plant the trees and protect them, but in the meantime put a spoonful of leaf powder in Maga's food every day. Three times a day, actually. A month later, I was out at the village. I found the mother. I said, how's your son? Fully expecting her to say he died. She said, there he goes. Those two little boys ran past she finally chased him down and grabbed him. That's him on the right. A month later. Now, he may look like a little snotty-nosed little kid still, but look at the eyes. And look at how his face is filled out. Look at his hair. For those of you who know malnutrition, you can see that the kid on the right is a lot better shape. And that's just after a month. I have seen that happen over and over and over again. Ordinary? Now you really got five bucks if anybody can identify this one. Tephrosia vogeli. Tephrosia is also known as fish bean. Tephrosia vogeli for insect control. One of our ECHO interns was in Malawi working with Mozambican refugees. They were working with some cabbages. Wait. There it is. Working with some cabbages that were full of insects and asked, said, well, just kind of in passing, I guess we're going to have to spray these cabbages. What are we doing for time? We're out of time. They pointed to this plant. She said, show me. They stripped the leaves off, crushed them up between two rocks, put them in a bucket of water, stirred it with their finger, sprinkled it on the cabbages. Next morning, every caterpillar was dead. She began to Researched this, sent it off into, to Echo back in Florida. They put it in a technical note. People in Philippines heard about it, asked for some seeds. We sent some seeds over to them, and now over a 1,000 farmers in the Philippines are using tephrosia to treat the insects. Ordinary? Abundance. One day's normal output of urine from an adult can provide all these nutrients. 50 flushes from people equals 68 bags of 828 fertilizer per year, valued at $740 and can fertilize 4.5 acres. The test here is nothing on the, the plant on the left had nothing added to it. The other three had urine added to them in different concentrations, and the one on the right had fertilizer added to it. And you can see on the, the top is okra. The urine and the fertilizer worked about the same with the okra, but in the maize, the urine actually did better than the fertilizer on the maize. Ordinary? That's goat manure, in case you didn't notice it. And yet, manure mixed with water, put into a drum, decomposes anaerobically, or in the absence of oxygen, produces methane gas. That methane gas is trapped in an inner tube and sent off to a gas cook stove. And those two drums of manure and water produced enough methane in that inner tube for five guys to cook all their rice and tea all day long. And it continued to produce for five months before we had to recharge it with new manure. How much wood did you use? None. Ordinary? Just some organic material, yet abundance. We took this picture and didn't even look at it until we'd come back from the field and saw that those, um, Sukumawiki, what's the word? Kale, thank you. 
um, as kale had been planted the same day by the same people from the same seeds. And yet, look at the difference, too. Then we realized on the left, we'd put banana and manure in the trench. On the right, we hadn't put anything in. And in six weeks, that was the difference in the health of the plants from something that people threw away. Ordinary abundance. My wife saw the picture of the Russian women with their rakes and said, oh, we could, uh, we could have a great time making, uh, making tools. And taught Alex some Conduiri, and next thing you know, he's going to hardware stores looking for ways to uh, make a new tool. In conclusion, this quote from a Haitian farmer, I can only expect destruction because I am provoking it with my own hands. Desperation trumps education every time. You may know what you need to do, but you end up doing what you have to do. And what we can do as we work with people is help them see what what things are available to them. We want to make a future so good that our children and grandchildren will stay because life is better here. This was the motto of a village in Latin America. And in 10 years, they made it happen. Their young people not only stopped going to the city, but many of them that had gone to the city came back to live in that village because they had made a future so good in that village that their children and grandchildren stayed because life was better. Seeing abundance in the ordinary. And the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Thank you very much. I have taken more than my time by two minutes. Any questions? If you don't want to ask them now, please feel free to stay. There's some literature up on top here, on front. Echo News tells you a little bit about Echo. There's a course that we offer called Introduction to Tropical Agriculture. There's some literature there for that. My business card. And those who won the dollar, come on up and get it.